Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still ungodly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each, each, uh, to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants not, nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are God's, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, all the world, all life, all death, all the present, all the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. But what an, uh, what an amazing sign of the gospel at work in the hearts and lives of everyone here at HPC. Uh, and it's in God's sovereignty that the passage we're looking at today is about building God's church. <laughs> it's not about the physical building. One of the things I loved about the Home for Everyone series is that we saw it as a tool for this work, for the building of God's church. And as we've worked our way through 1 Corinthians, I've loved a couple of favourite things that we've covered so fast. I've loved the fact that in a gifted church that's struggling with this idea of being impressive to the world in their speech and their knowledge and eloquence, they're in this, this in Corinth, this place that was full of philosophies and wisdom of this, this age... At the end of chapter 1, Paul goes right to the heart. He works the room and he goes, remember, not many of you are actually that wise. 
Not many of you are actually that influential. Not many of you are actually born of noble birth. Remember, God chose, have a look around the room, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And then in the midst of that worldly impressiveness, that verse that Sam read, that one of his highlights, the cross, it is foolishness to the world. That the Lord of the universe... God himself would become man and lower himself and die on the cross to achieve his victory, to achieve his glory and salvation. Who would believe in that? And then in chapter 3, which is where we left off, the start of chapter 3, Paul began to speak about the leaders in particular around the church in Corinth. In verse 5, he said that they'd They'd been pedestaling these guys and boasting about saying that they followed Paul and Apollos, not because they were viewing them through the lens of the content of the gospel of which they preached, not because of their godliness or character, but because of their worldly impressiveness, because of their eloquence and wisdom. That was how they judged their leaders in Corinth. And Paul says, again, undermining them, what is Apollos? What's Paul? Only servants. They're nothing. God gave them each a job to do, to preach Christ and Him crucified, which is foolish to the world. But God is the one who is sovereign. He is the ruler, the one reigning, the one who makes things grow. And He says, you Corinthians, you the people of God, you are God's field. You're the crop. And then at the end of verse 9, He shifts His metaphor and He tells the Corinthians, they are also God's building. And that's where we pick it up. Now, to be called God's building, that is a loaded term. Not only does it carry with it the idea similar to to the field of something growing, but something being built up or made bigger brick by brick, Paul uses it to speak of the Corinthians as God's temple. So have a look there in verse 16. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. Now, the temple in the Old Testament was representative of God's dwelling place among the world. It was where God was dwelling among His people. It's where a holy God, through sacrifices, allowed sinful people to come more and more into His presence. And Paul says, now in light of the foolishness of Christ and Him crucified, don't you realise that you, God's people, you are now God's building. You are God's church. The Holy God, through His Holy Spirit, dwells in our very midst. God purchased you through the precious blood of Christ so that you now belong to Him, You have been made holy. You are the very dwelling place of God in this world. Now, it's foolishness, right? Now, when someone asks you, what did you get up to to on the weekend? Oh, you know, I just gathered as the temple of God. God was in our very midst. Crazy. I mean, have a look around at all of you. It's easy to believe that God chose the foolish things of the world when we look at the people of Hunter Bible Church. But it's next level, isn't it? Even for us to comprehend that what we're doing right now in gathering together, we are a local expression of the very dwelling place of God on earth. 
Is that what you got up to on the weekend? God is in our very midst and we're taking part in the eternal work, the eternal building work of reflecting His glory to the cosmos. If you're a Christian, then this is your identity. This is who you are. Together, this is who we are. And now, if that is who we are, if that is who the church is, now, it's the person who says, there's something wrong with the person who says, you don't have to go to church to be saved. They've forgotten their identity. While there's truth to that, you don't have to go to church, you're not saved by attending a service on Sunday. The church is who we are. And so we express who we are by gathering together and expressing and proclaiming the gospel to the world. What we are doing this morning has eternal significance, even though it looks foolish to the world. If that is who we are, then you can imagine then that God wants us to seek with care how we go about building His church. And that is what this passage is all about. How to build God's spiritual church, His people, with great care. Now, when it comes to physical building projects for me, I'm a careless builder, all right? When it comes to renos and DIY home projects, I'm the type of guy that just likes to get the job done, get it off my plate and not so worry, worry so much about the quality of things. You know, don't, don't measure twice and cut once. That's just a waste of time. Just cut, cut once and close enough is good enough. That's the type of guy I am. Now, once when we were planning to put in a fireplace at our old place... I had a couple of hours before I had to go away for, for work for a week. Uh, and so what are we going to do with a couple of hours? We had to cut a hole in this old chimney, so I grabbed the angle grinder with a brick saw and made a start, and dust filled the whole lounge room. Unfortunately, I ran out of time to clean up. And so when Merrin came home, my wife finished work for the day, and I'd gone off for a week. She came home to a house filled with dust because I'm a careless builder. Now, when it comes to building God's church, God does not want us to be careless. He wants us to be really intentional, really thoughtful. He wants us to care for His church. Now, have a look at what He says in verse, what Paul says in verse 10. We're going to work our way verse by verse through this. He wants the Corinthians and us to build with care. He says in verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Now, right off the bat, notice there that laying this foundation, this work of building is by God's grace. It's His enabling power that enables us and empowers us to do it under His sovereignty. God's grace is through all of this work. And He uses there the language of being a wise builder. That language of wisdom, I think He uses deliberately here to remind us again that the wisdom of God is preaching Christ and Him crucified. That's foolishness to the world, but that is the wisdom of God, and He has been that wise builder, preaching Christ and Him crucified. So He says, By the grace God has given me, empowered by God, I laid a foundation as a wide builder, preaching Christ crucified. And someone else is building on it now. But each one should build with care. 
For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul uses this, this language of building a foundation, which I think is taking the gospel to a place it hadn't been before. He uses the same kind of thing in Romans 15. And then he says, but the person who comes after that and builds on it, which is still a good thing to do, they need to do it with care and they need to realise there is no other foundation than Jesus Christ. No church can be built on any other foundation. To build a church on any other foundation than Jesus Christ, build it on gifts as the heart and soul of the church. If we want to be uh, a church that's on about charisma or human wisdom at the heart and soul of church, or to build a church on baptism or sacraments at the heart and soul of a church, to build the church on anything else other than the gospel is to build an organisation that is not the church. Paul says we're to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified alone. And we're to build with care. And he goes on in verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation of Christ crucified, using gold, silver, costly stones, which I think those three things together are going to talk about this imperishable, lasting work through testing that we'll see in a moment in verse 14. Or the alternative is they build with wood, hay or straw, perishable materials that won't make it through judgment. Their work will be shown for what it is. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones or wood, hay or straw, their work is going to be shown for what it is because the day, the day of the Lord when Jesus returns, will bring it to light. The it, the builder's work, on that day will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Anyone and everyone who builds their work will be shown on Judgment Day for what it is. Friends, all of our works, this is particularly talking about leaders within the church, but all of our works matter to God. See, sometimes we can think and get so caught up in the idea that salvation is by grace alone, we need to keep preaching that again and again and again, that we forget to say also that in response to God's grace, we're to be living sacrifices. We're to give our whole lives. We're to take up our cross and follow Jesus, empowered by His grace at work through us. But our works matter to God. When Jesus returns, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and receive our due for things done in our whole lives, whether good or bad. God will judge each one of us and reward each one of us according to what we've done. Now, this doesn't mean we're saved by works. We're not. We're saved by grace alone. We're saved by Jesus' works alone, not our own. And yet, as saved souls, assured of eternity with God, God will judge all of our works as we awaited His return. How did you spend your time? How did you treat your neighbour? How did you use the gifts that I've given you to build my church? How did you do all of this depending on my grace? Realising you're inadequate for this task. 
And so while this passage is applicable to all of us because we're all involved in building God's church, and we'll talk about that in a bit, it's especially applicable to leaders within God's church though, who James says in 3.1 will be judged to a greater degree for their work and their responsibility over God's church. And I'll tell you what, that is a huge motivation in my ministry, in all of our ministry as, as shepherds of the flock, under shepherds, here at HBC, to know that I'll stand before the Lord of the universe and be held accountable for the work of building God's church, there is a weightiness in that and a humbling. And in my inadequacy, <laughs> my foolishness, my, my unimpressiveness, you know, sometimes it doesn't, but it always ought to drive each one of us and all of our leaders to depend on God's grace all the more who's at work through us. God loves and cares for His church so much that He'll hold all the builders accountable for their work. Friends, that is good news. A little bit scary, but good news. But what is the work here? What's the work here that builds God's church? In verse 14, what are these imperishable materials, the gold, silver, costly stones, that will actually survive beyond Judgment Day for all eternity? Now, some people want to say here, well, the work here, it's really broad. It's just anything Christians do to glorify God. It's just any work that Christians can be a part of. Paul is being much more specific here with this eternal work, this building of the church work. All throughout 1 Corinthians so far, he's been highlighting the importance of preaching the gospel. So 117, he said, Christ didn't send me to baptise. I can't even remember who I baptised. But he sent me to preach the gospel. 118, the message of the cross, the gospel, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But it's the power of God to save. 123, we preach Christ crucified. 2-2, I knew nothing except Christ crucified. 2-4, my message and my preaching were in the Spirit's power, the gospel. 2-7, we declare God's wisdom in the gospel, Christ crucified. 2-13, words taught by the Holy Spirit that point to spiritual realities are what we teach, what we preach. It's preaching of the gospel that is this work of building up God's church. It's a specific work here. And in addition to whatever... Whenever Paul speaks about building up the church elsewhere outside of 1 Corinthians, so in Acts 20.32, it's built up by the word of God's grace. Romans 15.20, it's built on the preaching of the gospel. Both the foundation and the building is preaching of the gospel. Ephesians 2.20.22 and 4.11-16, it's the word of God. 1 Peter 2, it's the word of God that declares the praises of God. Preaching of the gospel is the work that will last into eternity as souls are saved and people are grown to be more like Jesus. It's not just this broad thing of all the work that we're involved in, although we can glorify God in everything we do. There is a priority here that Paul is giving to the preaching of the gospel that builds God's church, both in evangelism, to grow and build the church numerically, outwardly in number and in edification, being built up, growing and being built up in maturity as people become more like Jesus. Friends, that work is of first importance because that work is not in vain. It has eternal significance and it's contrasted with the second type of work there, 
the perishable materials like wood, hail, straw. In verse 15, that work, that will be burned up when Jesus returns. Now, the person here, in the builder in verse 15, who escapes through the flames, this judgment, this isn't talking about his salvation or her salvation. It's not talking about some place like purgatory. This is the one uh, part of Scripture that the Roman Catholics get this idea of purgatory, that there's some sort of limbo period where you've got to go and burn off and work off all your mistakes before you can get into heaven. That's a distortion of what Paul's saying here. The, this, it's the builder's work, not the builder themselves, that is burned up and, and destroyed here in verse 15. The builder themselves is saved. Although, Paul does point to this picture of them escaping through the flames. You know, it's kind of this picture of their backside being singed as they enter eternity with God. It's a serious thing. Make light of it, but it's a serious thing. I don't think we want to be this builder using wood, hay or straw. I don't think we want to be this builder because in seeing their work burned up, there's going to be some sense of loss for them as they head into eternity. What Paul is saying here with this this perishable work is that it is possible to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ with such shoddy materials that at the last day, although saved, you have nothing to show for your labour. Now, what are those shoddy materials? I think it's building the church with a dependence on the wisdom of the world instead of the wisdom of God, Christ and Him crucified the gospel. And friends, this isn't hypothetical, is it? People build the church out of all sorts of worldly wisdom, be it philosophy or pop psychology or managerial techniques or with an overemphasis on worldly impressiveness on good things that are within the church but overemphasizing these good things like the giftedness and the eloquence of people the knowledge of people and that becomes the heart and soul of the church that they're building from worldly wisdom not the gospel itself and that leads to building the church with all sorts of wrong motivations to pride building my glory my kingdom hunter bible church's kingdom instead of God's, which then leads to divisions and disunity and fracturing of the unity, which is exactly what's going on in Corinth. Friends, it's possible for a leader to do all that, still believing in the gospel themselves, but without the repeated and passionate proclamation of it to their flock, without the repeated and passionate proclamation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, which is foolishness to this world, it's entirely possible for a church on the surface to look like it's successful, to look like it's growing, to look like it's being built, to have people join church and for that leader to go into eternity while the majority of the church will not. Friends, people's eternity is at stake with how we build God's church under Him. And I think that's what the reward and loss is that he talks about for these two different builders. Later in the next chapter on Judgment Day, Paul goes on to say, 1 Corinthians 4-5, each person will receive their praise from God on Judgment Day. Now, have you wondered about what are these rewards or things like that? 
because there's passages that suggest it's praise from God. So in Matthew 25, those who have taken responsibility for God's grace while we await His return, on that judgment day, God will praise it. Well done, good and faithful servant. God, it seems, will give those who build with these imperishable materials more responsibility into heaven as well. So in passages like Matthew 25 and Luke 19, we get to share in God's joy and His glory and happiness. But more than that, here in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually goes on later to say in 1 Corinthians 9 that His reward is not being paid for preaching the gospel. It's not a this, the word reward and wage are a similar thing, so he's got a play on words here. He says, my reward is actually not the wage that you're not paying me, Corinthians, to preach the gospel. My reward is becoming a slave to everyone to win as many people as possible to salvation. The reward of eternity is God's people, the church, this thing of eternal value that we're part of today. That is our prize, our reward, our joy and our crown into eternity to get to heaven and to enjoy each other as we get to worship and glorify God for all eternity. The builder who builds with the imperishable gospel will have the joy of seeing those they served for all eternity and the praise and potentially more responsibility in heaven. But the builder who builds with worldly wisdom and poor motives, although they share in the eternal joy of heaven, will suffer a sense of loss as they look around and they see many of their flock, many of the the people they had interactions with not in heaven. And if that's not enough motivation to build with care, (laughs) have a look at Paul's warning in verse 16 to 17 as he talks about a destructive work, which I think is just a slippery slope from this wisdom of the world work. Don't you know that you yourselves, Corinthians, don't you know (laughs) you're God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? This is who you are. This is your identity, your value and worth by God's grace is in this. So if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, it's holy, and you together are that temple. We together are the temple of God. And there's a myriad of ways, isn't there, to destroy God's church, the local church, and Satan is prowling around seeking to use all of them. For the Corinthians, their emphasis on worldly impressiveness and giftedness had led them to pride and the beginnings of fractures in their unity and division. They were on a path to destroying the local church like that. In recent years, in Newey and Lake Mac, we've seen how sexual abuse has destroyed churches. Adultery in leadership, I think, is one of Satan's primary tactics that can potentially destroy the ministry in a church. False teaching that empties the cross of its power is something within our circles we're having to battle against. The idea that God pours out His wrath on Jesus at the cross is something that people don't like and are denying more and more and they're emptying the cross of their power, of its power. False teaching, sin, division. God will destroy the person who destroys God's local church. 
That's a hefty warning. But doesn't this make you want to be intentional and thoughtful and take great care in how we go about building God's church? Now, while all this is more pointed towards leaders in the church, and so you ought to pray for us, <laughs> throughout 1 Corinthians, as the letter continues, Paul encourages the whole church to prioritise this imperishable work of preaching the gospel. So at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he actually encourages the whole church to desire the greater gifts around the preaching of God's word. In 1 Corinthians 14, in a church that's overvalued the gifts of speaking in tongues and miracles and worldly wisdom and knowledge, he encourages them to excel in the gifts that build up the church, which is through the ministry of the word. And in 1 Corinthians 15... After explaining the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection and how it is of first importance, verse 3, this is one of my favourite passages in 1 Corinthians, 15.58, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, so the whole church here, not just leaders, stand firm on the foundation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and raised. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Friends, the work here, the labour is the preaching of the gospel for evangelism, to see people saved and to see God build his church up into maturity as well. And he says, each one of you, brothers and sisters, always, not sometimes, always, Give yourselves fully, not partially, fully to this work that builds the church because that is a work that has an eternal value. Now, this ought to be a challenge to us. I think there is a work of this creation where we can still glorify God that's still of value but is of less priority than preaching the gospel. And we ought to do less of that if we can within our circumstances in still obedient, being obedient to God so that we can find ways of doing more building work of preaching the gospel. You know, putting food on the table is a godly thing to do for your family. But there's a futility to it, right? I'm, we're still in nappy stages with our 18-month-old. She eats, she poops, I clean them, well, and my wife does as well. There's this cycle of futility. If we don't feed her, she won't poop. Other things will happen, though. I went fishing for six hours yesterday. You want to talk about futility? I'll talk to you about that. Now, that was a great thing to do. I glorify God in doing it. But what a waste of time. <laughs> in my own profession, former profession, healthcare, you fix someone's knees, someone's knee, and you know it's just going to get arthritic as they get older. What's the point? <laughs> no, you get to love them and you get to do it honestly and hopefully you take opportunities through that work to do the work of the Lord, the preaching of the gospel, to see them saved. And there's other ways that you can contribute through that work to glorify God and, and to contribute to the work of the Lord through generosity in a number of means. But there's a futility to healthcare, isn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, we're all going to die. You might save a life today, but they're going to die sooner or later. There's a futility to it. There is something that doesn't move through into eternity. 
the work of this creation, while we can still glorify God, and it's still valuable and there's things that we need to do in obedience to God and He commands us to do in this creation, is still not as important as the work of building God's church. So let me ask you, are you taking care? Are you being thoughtful? Are you being intentional for ways that you're seeking to build God's church? Are you being intentional and thoughtful about your evangelism, whether it's in your workplace or in your your leisure space? Are you being intentional about the edification of God's people? Are you making decisions in your life that enables you to give yourselves as much as you can in whatever worldly circumstances that you still have to obey God in, as much as you can to the work of the Lord and building God's church? I lead a team here at church um, that encourages people to serve at church. And we have serving chats with everyone at church. And it's hard for that team to do that. Because sometimes they feel like in the busyness of our culture, they're asking people, you know, to be a burden. They feel like they're being a burden on people, being a burden on God's people, asking them to do church a favour by serving in a ministry team or something like that. And I keep, every time we meet, reminding them that when we call people to serve in a ministry team at church, it's an expression of our whole life service of Jesus. We're not asking people to do a favour here. We're calling them to the privilege of being part of God's work in building His church for His glory. It's a loving thing to call people into ministry. And friends, I wonder at New EAM if for a lot of you worldly responsibilities have taken up a lot of your time and there's good things that you need to keep doing to honour God in those things but I wonder if part of us goes they're a bit over the hill now maybe we should stop calling them to serve Jesus as fully I think I'm guilty of doing that and it's completely wrong I wonder if there's some of some of you in this room who need to reconsider whether you give up your careers and give yourselves as much as you can to the preaching of the gospel beyond HPC. Friends, there is such a need, not just in Australia, but across the whole world for people who will give more and more time to this building work that has eternal significance. Another way that it might look like for some of you, this week we've got uh, an info night on Thursday night for something we've been running for three years called Harvest Mentoring Programme. And that's intentionally designed to give you the space to take, give us one or two days, of, or give God one or two days of ministry to be freed up and carve out time to be able to do this work of building up the church and you'll get a mentor and every fortnight you'll meet with that mentor and on the other fortnight we have cohort training that's seeking to invest in you as leaders to equip you to preach the gospel. Friends, Paul finishes this section to remind us that in 18 to 23, to live this way is going to be foolish to the world. So in verse 18, he says, Do not deceive yourselves. 
If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world, it's foolishness in God's sight. As it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. He says, if any of you think that you're wise by the standards of this age, you know, if you're puffed up in your knowledge or eloquence, you think you've made it, don't deceive yourselves. Remember, God chose the foolish things of this world. Look around, you're unimpressive, all right? Friends, the wisdom of the world says that life is short. You better go out and enjoy this creation as much as you can. Put down roots in this creation. Buy a house. Strive to find who you're going to be. Be true to yourself. Be someone who finds their value and their worth and the importance in your career. Climb the corporate ladder because that's where prestige and power is found. Prove to people with your degree that your life matters. That is the wisdom of our world. And God says it's futile and foolish in his sight. And so instead, he calls us to become fools. Embrace the foolship of the gospel so that you may become wise in God's sight. Embrace that moment where you go in to your accountant or whatever you go in to get your tax done and you say, this is how much I've given to the gospel. And they look at you like an idiot. That literally happened to my wife. Embrace the foolishness of this world that said, why would you go and gather with God's people in the morning and then go serve at kids' church in the afternoon to teach kids about Jesus? Isn't that a form of child abuse, to, to teach kids about Jesus, to want them to be Christians? Embrace the foolship that you'll experience. Embrace the foolship that it will look like to carve out an hour in your day that no one will see where you do the great work of praying to our Lord and depending on His grace. You'll look like a fool to the world to give up coming a Sunday morning where the weather's beautiful and there's so much to do. You could go fishing even though it's futile. Why would you give up a Sunday morning to come and meet with God's people, the temple where God is in your midst? You're crazy, right, to do that. And why would you give up a night to go to a growth group where you don't go for the primary reason of consuming, you don't go for the primary reason of growing to be more like Jesus, although that will happen. You go to serve God's people. You go to encourage people in the the preaching of Christ and Him crucified. Friends, there is nothing more important than we can do in our week than the work of building God's church and it will be foolishness to this world when we do it. To follow Jesus and to preach Him crucified will always have a sense of social suicide in this world. But come and be fools with us. Embrace the foolishness of the gospel. Get ready to be fools among this world. Because in becoming fools, it's the wisdom of God. And Paul lands this whole chapter, again, back in our identity. Verse 21, he says, So there's no more boasting about human leaders. God chose the foolish things of this world, remember? Don't boast in yourself, don't boast in humans, don't boast in human leaders. You only boast in Jesus Christ. So get over these human leaders and remember who you are. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, all the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. 
Paul says, even though we're nothing, we're servants, we're fools, we have everything. Because we belong to Jesus, because he purchased us with his precious blood and he belongs to God, we have it all. You don't belong to Paul or Apollos, you don't follow leaders. The leaders of God's church in God's kingdom, God, he flips the wisdom of this world on its head and he says, they actually belong to you. The leaders belong to the church, to serve the church. But not just the leaders, the world belongs to the church. This life and death belongs to the church. The present and all eternity belongs to the whole universe belongs to God's people because we belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Friends, you don't have to go and make a name for yourself in this world when you realise this is who you are. You don't have to go and find your worth or value in trying to find or achieve your identity in what you do. You've already received an immovable identity, one that's going to go into eternity, one that you share with all of God's people. One that can't get any better. Knowing who we are and reframing how we view ourselves and the people of God as God's church, His precious temple, the midst of His dwelling place, it frees us up to become fools in this world and to prioritise the work of building God's church and taking care and being thoughtful and intentional while we depend on His grace throughout it all. So let's be a people who keep Christ crucified as the foundation and the building work of our church, God's church. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, it's hard to fathom how you do use us as fools, those who are inadequate and unimpressive in the world's eyes, for the sake of your glory. Lord, we thank you that by your grace, You incorporate us into your work of building your church, a work that has eternal value and will go forward through all eternity. Lord, we pray particularly for our leaders that you would guard us and we pray for us as a church that you guard us from straying from the word of God. Help us to keep preaching your gospel faithfulness and help us to value the character of our leaders that they would be men and women who follow Christ's example and call others to follow them as they follow Christ. Father, we pray for us as a church, as your church, as your people, that we would remember who we are in light of what Jesus has done. And that because of that, in response to your grace, we would prioritise the work of building your church for the sake of your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.